So anyway, so we're catching up. I guess it's been a month since we've been here, and we're we're doing this expository teaching in in First uh, John. Uh, and so, uh, and, w- and what is expository? What does that mean? Uh, word by word. We're just taking a look at what God's word says, uh, and really, and what it means. Uh, because it's one thing to, to understand what God's word says, but if we don't understand what it means, and, it, and if it's not if it's not applied, then what's the point? So, um, so, uh, so, so we're here for that reason, and uh, it's probably good to remind ourselves why. We're doing this expository uh, study. Now, we've been looking from the pulpit here. We have been looking at a verse in Romans. In fact, uh, at our church, it's our memory verse for, for the month. Um, and you remember anybody far enough along memorizing that since last Sunday? Um, uh, no, but, but Joanne has it. So why don't you, why don't you read it? Because it's one of the reasons we're here. Romans 12. Well, one and two. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect Awesome. So here we are in the renewing of our minds. Amen? Amen. I mean, is that what we're doing here? Okay, so God, God's word tells us that we should not be conformed to the, to the patterns of this world. We're even going to see that in 1 John as we, as we do a quick review to kind of catch up from being four weeks off. And, uh, and, then, and then to renew our minds, because what are we supposed to do with that renewing of our minds once it, once it happens? Put it to work. <laughs> Put it to work. Put it to work. And so we see that the, that the Holy Spirit we're going to see in First John is the one that does the teaching. There's nobody doing the teaching in this place tonight but the Holy Spirit. And so with that, we know that the job of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is to convict us. And in fact, if you were listening uh, a couple of weeks ago from the pulpit, we were looking at the root word from the word convict, which means to prove quality. I, I love that because words are so important. So if, if we're convicted by what God's word is meaning, if we're convicted by the meaning of God's word, it means that by virtue of the conviction, it has proved up. It has been proven. And I, I love that because as we are definitely sold out to the truth of the inerrancy of God's word, uh, we've already settled that issue, haven't we? It's been proved up, beyond a shadow of a doubt. We don't have to worry about that. We just don't have to worry about that anymore because it has been proven. Whether you believe it or not, (laughs) it's proved up. And so that's what conviction really is. And then ultimately we're here to worship, which is a response. Worship is nothing more than a response. It's not the four songs we sing before preaching starts in this church. It's, it's worship is a response to who God is. That's all it is. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So before we took our break, let me just go back with some... some, some I know the average age in the, in the group is... Young. 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 So what truths do you recall? We studied um, expositorily uh, the first two chapters in 1 John. So let me tax your memory just a little bit. And uh, what truths do you recall from those first couple of 
Uh, and you can cheat and look uh, if you want to in First John chapters one and two um, to, to to be reminded. But what truths do you recall from what we had been studying before our break? Walk in the light. So okay, so there's a there's a truth uh, that that is pretty clear about walking in the light. What else? Anybody? Don't love the world. Okay, so yeah, the First John has. Has a little passage very much like Romans 12, 1 and 2 about not being conformed to the world and not loving the world. And we're going to look at that in, in very quickly in review um, because the context of that matters. Right? Context is everything. So John starts uh, with, with a theme uh, in, this, in this letter. There's a, there's a theme here. And um, just really quickly, just look at the first few verses. Can you see what the theme is and why, did he, why was he writing this letter to the church? Okay, there's the, he was reading it that's that because of that. And what's the, what's the theme then? Okay, there was an issue that was going on because this is a, in, in the first century, we looked at the fact that there was the beginning of Gnosticism, which which uh, has many variants, kind of like Christian denominations, okay? But they just, they weren't, they weren't believers necessarily, so they were false teaching. And, but this is the beginning of some false teaching. We see that. But what's the main theme? What's going on in just those first few verses? That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Son of God. There is a proclamation. John is making, and that's powerful, isn't it? There's a proclamation that what? That Jesus appeared. It says that the word of life appeared. And John's making the point that here we are. We were eyewitnesses. I, I love it because there they are. They're eyewitnesses. You an eyewitness? No. No, we, were, we weren't eyewitnesses. And faith is a wonderfully powerful thing, isn't it? And yet you're sure, aren't you? I don't think anybody would be here if you weren't sure. And so we have a proclamation, but there's something else. There is a proclamation being made. John and, and his adherents, see, they were eyewitnesses. And I, I love that. It was powerful testimony in being an eyewitness. I saw this. That's so much better than hearing it from Murph that maybe is a third or fourth party to something, you know? Not that I don't trust Murph here, but the point is, it would be more powerful if he saw it, I would say, wow. Wow. Murph saw it. And if he told me that he saw it, I'd believe it. It's that simple, really. And, and that's what they had. But what else is happening as a theme here? Oh, he's defining the darkness and the light. That's it. There is a proclamation of the word of life, the word of truth, this eyewitness. There is a tremendous amount of credibility behind what is being written in this letter to the church because they were confused. There were problems that we're going to see. And then there was a warning, that warning of, hey, there is light and there is darkness. Now, this gets very, very powerful. And I think that we're so used to it, being in the light or being in the dark. We have to remember that whenever we talk about light and darkness, especially from a biblical perspective, it's, it's, it's pretty humbling because there are those that are in darkness. They're lost. 
And, and it's pretty clear the consequences of that. And John, you see, even though he has this pastor's heart, John is the, is the, he's the apostle of love. He's always talking about God and loving others and love and love and love. And that's what John talks about all the time. And yet, he's real. He's real when he's talking about, hey, you're not in the light. You're in the darkness. And that's not good, as, we, as we've seen. So the first part of the letter really sets the tone, doesn't it? And we know that John is, is trustworthy in terms of his testimony, yeah? All right. And so, uh, why do you suppose John set the stage for, for this letter that he's writing in that way? By making a proclamation and then giving them a warning. Because he comes right out of the box in this letter. And it's pretty much like, okay, here, I'm setting the tone. Why do you suppose he set it in that, in that way? A little speculation, but what do you think? Well, I think he's, he's the one that won them to the Lord and he's bringing them along and he felt like they were his children. And here these false teachers were coming in and, and feeding them a bunch of yeah. malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> Careful. <laughs> and so he was really concerned. His heart was broken that they were being led astray. And so he was really... He was really strong about it. Don't you do it. Don't you follow them. They'll get you in trouble. With authority. Right. Absolutely right. And with authority. And see, I love that about John. We were eyewitnesses. We touched him. We handled him. We knew what was going on. And what we are telling you is the truth. And you better believe it. Yeah. And what he said, we'll see in a minute. He already told them. You already knew this from the beginning. Right. But they were led astray. Warning, 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 church. Okay, because man, you can be going to church for a really long time, and if the truth isn't spoken and if it's not spoken in love, guess what? You can, boy, you can be misled, can't you? You have to, you know. So, are you in the Word of God? And is it in you or not? I mean, that's what he's really talking about here. So, you knew this from the beginning. Um, go to let's let's take a look real quick at uh, at First John, the first chapter, and verses uh, five through. 10. And Susan, I think you have a NIV 1984, right? Would you, yes. Could you read it in that version? <laughs> 5 to 10, please. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. 8 through 10 as well. Oh, okay. Sorry. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Wow. So... Um, you know, we're, we're, by way of review here, we're just hitting the high points from the first couple of chapters here, but uh, it's important. Um, I, I want you to see something. Do you see a theological foundation that is laid here in, in verse 5? Do you see a theological foundation by way of declaration? Well, the message that he's bringing was heard from him. Okay, it was heard Jesus. from him. That's good. From God. But look, look at the verse itself and what is the theological foundation that is being laid by declaration? God is light. God is light. Okay, 
and there is no darkness in him. And we see elsewhere in Scripture and from John's letter that light and truth are, are interchangeable. Light and truth are interchangeable. So we see that the theological foundation here initially, because this, it, it's, it's wonderful, John gets right to the point. And then he starts to do some filling because he wants, he's so heartfelt that he wants to make sure that the church gets what he's saying. So there's, there's some why. It's not just like, follow me. You know, remember Jesus said, follow me. And, the, and they didn't have a clue where they were going, did they? John says, hey, hey, watch out here. Okay, be careful. There is a warning. And now let me tell you about that warning so you understand. Because they had to make a judgment themselves, didn't they? Because my guess is that in the church, when, when he said a little later in, in the second chapter, and he said, hey, they left us because they were never of us. They were in the dark. We are in the light. God is light. And so that had to have been hard. Because I, I have to guess that they were some of their friends that left. They were pulled away. So that theological foundation is really important that God is light. And there's also some practical application. If you look through verse 6 and 7, it says, so now walk in the light. Walk in the light. Why is that important? Because when you don't have walk in the light, you don't have the truth. Amen. You're as bad as the people that that's kind of what the point he's trying to make here on the front side. Okay, so he's setting that up so that they would so that they would understand. I, I love I love First John one six that that sixth verse there in the New King, King James, which which I know Doris likes. Uh, but it says if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The NIV says live by the truth. I love both of those things because, boy, as we fumble our way along in our Christian walk, imperfect as we are, we have to practice, don't we? I think that's a, a, one of the big reasons why Jesus said, hey, do this in remembrance of me, you know, because we're such forgetters. <laughs> We're just such forgetters. We live in the world, and it's so... Boy, you know that three degrees of separation as a pilot? We know what that looks like, don't we? Don't we? Yeah. Uh, you know, three degrees of separation, you, you, know, you go along your merry way, and pretty soon you are so far off course, you're lost. And that's just the way it works. So this walking in darkness really simply means living in any way outside the truth of God. Any way outside of that truth is being in the darkness. And so what kind of examples do we, do we think about in, when we think about this walking in darkness? Now, he was talking about, we, we know this from our study from before, we, we know that he was talking about this Gnosticism, and the Gnostics were beginning to say that, hey, listen, we don't really believe that Jesus came in the flesh. And they spiritualized it to the point where they were justifying their life of sin. They were justifying sin. Things haven't changed much in the last couple thousand years, but but that's what they were doing. But but what are some examples of this of, of walking in the darkness? Okay, be specific. They say they walk in the light, but they don't, and therefore they are in the darkness. Okay, that's good. Now be specific. Judas. Judas. In what way? In fact, he betrayed Christ. Okay. Okay. So Judas was walking in the darkness. Mm -hmm. Okay. What other examples can you think of 
that are that that would relate to walking in the darkness. You can continue to live in a secular world and do everything that secular people do, but okay. Well, you're in First John right now, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Look at the second chapter, the ninth verse, and somebody tell me about mm-hmm. what John is saying about being mm-hmm. in the darkness. Okay, so John says, listen, guys, I mean, see, this starts to bring it really close to home because I love it when we talk in Christendom about these things and we talk theoretical and we talk up here and it's okay to talk churchy words and big and scriptural and all that kind of stuff, but we live down here, don't we? I like to bring it down to the ground level because I live down here. And so John says that, hey, church, if you're here today and you hate any of the brethren, any other believer... Guess what? You are in the darkness. That's powerful. That's powerful. Because have you had a disagreement with somebody that you believe to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you're a little angry with them? Did it border on, I hate that person. Ah, careful. Careful because, because God's word says you can't hate and be in the light. It's impossible. So if you hate, sorry, it's not a popular teaching, but you're in the dark. But you can still Well, there's righteous indignation, yes, of course, but also elsewhere in Scripture, what does it say to do about that? Before the next time you take communion, if you've got something against your brother or your sister, sit in the, don't come up here and take communion. Straighten it out. No, straighten it out first. I mean, I love that. It's so practical and simple, isn't it? Okay, now there's a whole bunch of other things that are really politically incorrect to say about being in the darkness, but that's what John is writing about. Because if you're willfully walking in that lifestyle, willfully, and we're going to see in a minute it's not about sin, because I'm pretty sure everybody here said it today, but I'm pretty confident. I don't know it for a fact, but I'm pretty confident. And so, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about this willful disobedience, this willful walking, living in sin, but saying that "Ah, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's incompatible. What relationship does life have with the dark? Zippo none. No, that's what he's talking about. They weren't of us. They were following these people that said, no. Now, this Jesus guy, hey, he's all good and everything, but not, it didn't really come in the flesh. And that was the beginning of this whole Gnostic thought. And they, they, boy, they took it to the nth degree. And people have been doing that ever since. So, so we, have to, we have to be sure of what we're talking about based on what <coughs> Scripture teaches. Amen? It's really important. Even when it's not popular. So, we can't confuse walking in darkness with sin. Because everybody in this room today, if you sin, which I'm confident you did, you are not walking in darkness. There's a difference. Willful disobedience and to God Second Corinthians six fourteen says that what fellowship can light have with the darkness? Rhetorical question? None. It can't. There's no relationship. 
I, I, that can be a hard teaching, especially in today's culture. Mm-hmm. That can be tough. But anyway, John communicates these truths in these first couple of, of chapters, and I think it's it's pretty clear um, what he's trying to communicate. Even Ernie, uh, when you said that he he also talks about not loving the world or anything or anything in the world. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Because you put that above Jesus. Uh, because you certainly could be making an idol out of anything that's in the world. And I use the example a hundred times because it's fun. Um, you know, talking about uh, about uh, uh, Wes and how thoughtful he was that he let his wife go out of town and then he bought the Corvette. So she found out. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the fact that he bought the Corvette that was the issue. It was the process maybe a little bit. You know, we should talk. But, no, the point is, is that there's nothing wrong with having a Corvette or 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 a muscle car even. Um, the point is... <laughs> the point is, are, have we made idols of, of these things? Because you see, um, it, 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 the, it's, a, it's a warning and it's a command, both, isn't it? You know, not, not to make an idol out of these things. Or even, Dale, like with golf. It's great to play golf. You know, you know that you could have a ministry on the golf course and play seven days a week. Don't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 well, we just won't be accountable to the ministry, but that's okay. But, but, but you see, unless you've made an idol of it, and, and unless that becomes something that you, that is your, if that's your driver, then that's what he's talking Trade about. Trade that for the Corvette. And we, <laughs> so we have, to, we have to keep it all in context, don't we? And the context of this letter, of course, is, is being in the light or being in the darkness. Now, he was talking about this, the beginning of this Gnostic teaching where they were really, they were really saying that Jesus is not the Christ. That's essentially what it was boiling down to. And so they were doing that because they wanted to just go ahead and, and they, they didn't want just one Corvette. They wanted two, okay? And so, uh, but they really wanted to live a life of sin and do what they wanted to do. And so uh, that, was the, that was the issue. Hi, guys. Uh, no, where's the, do you know what, anybody know what church uh, shelters at tonight? I don't know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't know where it is on Thursday night. Oh, you know where it is? It's at the, um, it's at the uh, Episcopal Church. Diana's going to have it. I always see him when I come to. I also there's one. Okay, so so context is important, and then and then lastly, before we move on, uh, let's take a look at the at the at the end of of chapter two. Just take a just take a couple of seconds here, and just take a quick look at just the end of chapter two, and we see that there's kind of another warning that John gives before he starts to change his tone completely in the next chapter, where we'll pick up. And so, what's the what, what's the warning that John is giving the church here towards the end of chapter 2? The Antichrist. Yeah. He says what? The, he starts with a bold declaration, doesn't he? The last hour. We would say that that would easily be uh, identified as the end times. They're here. He says, the last hour is here. This is the first century. 
But he's warning the church the last hour is here. And how do we know that? Because the Antichrist is coming, but what else does he say? Many Antichrists have come. Now, the context? Church, we've had these infiltrators. They've come in. They're denying Christ in the flesh. When John said, dude, I was there. What are you talking about? What, did they want to believe John? No. It was a heart issue, you see. They didn't want to believe John. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And at the end of the day, isn't that the same for all of us? Don't we just do what we want to do? The cool thing is we're here. That's pretty cool. Um, Because we know the value. Right? We understand the value. But you see, he said, and the Antichrist has... They, they've come. So how do you detect the Antichrist that, that, that John is referring to? How, how, did, how did the church, how could they detect them? They he said they're here. They left. Well, okay, they, they left. They denied the Son of God. They denied what John called in the very beginning of his letter, the, the word of life, the word of truth. They completely denied it. They didn't belong. That's what he's saying. That's, that, that's, what, that's what he's saying. He said they, they, they did, that's why they left. I mean, have a heart for them, but they didn't belong to us because they made the choice. And it was a choice, wasn't it? A heart condition to leave because they wanted to believe what they wanted to believe. It just happened not to be the truth. And so they, they left us, guys, because they were never a part of us. Whew. That's hard. And he said, they went out from us in 219 because they did not really belong to us. In 222, it says, who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Now listen. Such a man or woman or person is Antichrist. That's more powerful language, isn't it? So everyone that denies Christ is Antichrist. That's their type. Not the Antichrist. An Antichrist. Many have come. Some of them in churches pulling people away. They were never from us. Satan still works round the clock. he, he, He doesn't stop. He knows his time is short. And so we have to be clear, though, because this letter was written a couple of thousand years ago. Is it applicable today? (laughs) Without a doubt. Maybe I sometimes think more so. (laughs) And we have all this history now. They didn't have all the history. It was the first century. I mean, John was right there, right in the letter. He had been with Jesus. We got 2,000 years of history and all the things that have happened. The whole of Scripture that we have, that God's provided us. And, and yet, we got to be clear. Who is the liar? It's the man that denies Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. Now, we, in context, are looking at this in terms of the Gnostics that were teaching in the first century church. But, but I mean, not so fast. Because... Well, how do, we, how do we relate to that today? It's one thing to understand the context of the first century, but you know, John knew Jesus, and his conviction about who Jesus was was pretty clear, wasn't it? 
denying Jesus just isn't as clear, though, I think, as some people think it is. So can you proclaim Jesus but still be in the darkness? Yes. Can you? Mm-hmm. How? Depends on who your Jesus is. Amen, sister. I listen to a lot of these big guys that have these great big churches that are as big as a football stadium, you know. I listened to his whole half-hour program. He did not mention the word Jesus one time. Mm-hmm. He talked about God and about you having a good life and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, but he did not mention Jesus even once. Well, there are, there are, whole, there are whole movements uh, of course, that that would there are some movements that even have the name of Christ in the name of their movement. Yeah. But what's Jesus? Is it? Yeah. 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 They're Jesus. <laughs> uh, because you got to decide. Yeah. And, and and what John is saying here is is that if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, you you're confronted now, and there must be conviction with who is Jesus. You see, John was. Convinced, wasn't he? He knew who Jesus was. That was a no-brainer for him. He was just trying to tell the church, be careful because these people that have come in that are not of us, they're they're denying Christ. But 2,000 years later, we're sitting here and they're in this valley. There are people that say, oh, we're followers of Christ. Which one? That's the question. On whose or what authority are you determining who Christ is? Because you know you can make him anybody you want if you're the authority. <laughs> right? We hear that Mr. Mr. all the time. It's a, you know, all right. Who sounds like the wrong? You know, you know, we know about having one cheek on the throne or no cheeks on the throne or both cheeks on the throne, don't we? And these are people that have both cheeks on the throne. They want to they be on the throne. Now, there are some that are just deceived and they're in cult movements that have been told that, that Jesus is somebody that he is not biblically. So we have to be very clear, don't we? We have to be very clear. So sometimes it's subtle, and it's not as easy as you might think. And yet we're called to speak the truth in love. And that's all John is doing. That's all he's doing. It is an issue of authority. So absolutely, yes, you can proclaim Christ all day long. The question is, which one? Hmm. Profound. It's, and it's powerful. So he concludes with this. He says, see that what you have heard, that's the truth, from the beginning remains in you. What's the significance of John saying that the truth should remain in you? Never lose your first love. Never lose your first love. That's good. What else? What else comes to mind? The Holy, Spirit. Holy Spirit in you. See that what you have heard. Because that's what he told them from the beginning. You knew this from the beginning. And so, I mean, the warning is they knew it from the beginning, but I, I'm just picturing in my mind, I don't know how many people, but, 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 but think about a church and it's got 100 people in it and 50 of them left because there, there was some Yahoo sitting in the center row that said, hey, Jesus, you know, never, never really came in the flesh. And by the way, we're having pizza and beer. Come on down. Lots of beer, in fact. In fact, we're going to get so drunk, it's going to be so fun. And they all left. No, I'm making that up, of course. But the point is... The point is, is that they 
half of them left. And then John says, hey, see what you've heard from the beginning. Remains in you. See, God didn't miss any words. All inspired by the Spirit. Remaining in you. See, that's conviction. Because if you've got a conviction, you know, a belief is what you have, a conviction is what has you, right? And so that's what John was trying to, to, to convey. And he says also that the last days are here and the, there are many who will try to lead you astray. Because Satan is displeased. But as for you, he says, you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So make sure when you go home tonight, you tell somebody that I'm anointed. <laughs> it didn't even take oil. You are anointed with the Holy Spirit as you sit. That's an awesome reality, isn't it? It really is. So John is dealing with the truth and the falsehood here, and he puts it really in salvation terms, doesn't he? It's a salvation message and warning throughout the first part of this letter because he's saying, guys, 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 you know, you, we gave this, we gave you the word of, of truth. We were eyewitnesses. Um, make sure it remains in you. Okay? And, and you know, I like to say, get into the word of God and get the word of God into you because without it, you'll just wander off. That's what they did. They just decided that they wanted to wander off because they wanted to do what they wanted to do, which of course, it's a salvation issue, and that leads us into where we left off, which is the third chapter of First John. So, we're going to start with First John, the first three verses in chapter three, and somebody is going to volunteer to read that. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for he shall see him as and we shall see him as he is. Any further? One more verse. One more. Okay, everyone who has hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Okay, so if you're listening to that or reading along, man, that thing is like jam-packed, isn't it? Yeah. I, I love that. You know, yeah. God knew that we just... Yeah. Yeah. We, we are uh, uh, so in need, aren't we? We're pretty needy people. We, we need the Word of God. We need the truth. We need to apply the truth. And John is, is, is making this first point, and he, and he calls us children of God. And so what's the condition that exists for you to be a child of God? What is the absolute necessary condition that exists for you to be called a child of God? Okay, That's a, that, is a, that, that is an action, but what's the condition? Surrender of yourself. Surrender of yourself. And, uh, and what's the condition? Love Jesus. Love. Love. See, it's not that we love Jesus. I'm not messing with you, Doris. I'm just trying to. <laughs> See, if we understand that, 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 that really, I mean, this is God's calling us his children. Okay, that's an awesome fact, isn't it? 
But why? That's it. I mean, we make it so complicated sometimes, but it's really not. He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished? He's already done it. Hasn't he? I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible when you stop to think about what God has done for us. For us. Not because we loved him. And the Bible makes that clear. And, I, and, and you're a liar if you say anything otherwise. Because we didn't love him first. I love the word lavished. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It didn't just dribble a little on top. Yeah, right. <laughs> it lavished it. It just poured it out. John then says something else. Again, remember the context because he was warning them about something that had already taken place in their church. People left. And he told them already in chapter 2. They weren't of us. They didn't know They're that. in the darkness. That's hard to hear if you're if, if somebody told you that one of your best friends left your church to go to another one and that they were in the darkness, meaning that is a salvation issue. They are in the dark while you are in the light. That's hard to hear. We sometimes even want to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear. But that's what John's talking about. And then he says that the reason the world does not know us How many of us have a testimony like that? I remember quite well. Jesus? Jesus. It's a swear word to me. I, I had no interest. I had no. I had no knowledge. I had no understanding, and I had no desire. Until I did. Wow! What a revelation. But they, they didn't. These were this, these were people that didn't know each other. They weren't. They weren't yoked equally spiritually. One group wanted to be in. The, they chose to be in the darkness. Didn't even ask questions. We were talking about about being a Berean because uh, Scotty made a comment at Delta Group on Sunday night, and uh, he was quoting scripture, but we didn't have time to, to to look it up right then. And and then he and then it, it bothered him somehow or another, so he went home and he and he, and he looked it up. And he goes, oh, I was wrong. Isn't that cool? <laughs> and I said, dude, man, that's like a Berean. Man, we were talking about it, and you went home and said, hey, it's it was he was eating at you, wasn't it? And he went and he looked it up and. And, and and then he's he's all over her like read it in your version. I don't, you know, anyone, well, how, many, how, many, how many translations did you read that scripture out of? Two or three different versions. It was like a it was like whoa, it was awesome because what you said was wrong. And so he comes tonight and he says, I want to tell you I was wrong. I did I, I thought that that's what it said, but that's not what it said. Nor is that what it meant. I had, that's awesome. And John's conveying that. He's conveying that. So, if you're motivated in any way to get approval from the world, because he says the reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. He talks a lot about the world here, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Because where was this falsehood coming from? We've already seen that in 1 John 2.15, that not the love of the world or anything in the world. I love it because... Brenda and I had a conversation. She got all upset about that a few weeks ago, right? And then 
you know, we, we sat out there on the little porch and we talked about that. And then there was this, I mean, the Holy Spirit just worked and, and, and started to gain, you gained some understanding, didn't you? Yeah. And it was, oh, okay, because she said, well, but I like stuff. Well, so do I. <laughs> I even have stuff. Uh, th- but that wasn't the issue. It wasn't how much stuff you have. I know very, very wealthy people that are solid believers. I mean, these people are, I mean, they're very wealthy, but it's not their wealth that's the issue. They don't covet their their wealth. In fact, I know people that give the vast majority of it away um, because they love the Lord. It, but they have a really big house and really fancy, nice cars. and Well, they've been blessed, but they don't worship that. They don't. And so when when that understanding came, it was like freedom, wasn't it? Right. It was free. Because the truth will do that for you. The truth will do that for you. So what should our desire be then? In terms of worldliness, light, darkness, Christ likeness. What should we be pursuing? To be like Jesus. Christ likeness. I, I, I love what Richie says. I've been using it a lot, you know. So, we want to be good and happy. <laughs> or godly and holy. Not in a somber way. Quite frankly, the good and happy is what we put the smiley face on about. But frankly, that doesn't lead anywhere. It's the godliness and holiness that leads someplace. I mean, wow. That's what should be putting a smile on our face. Verse 2 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. That's the declaration. Mm-hmm. So, if you're a child of God, on whose authority do you rest in that? God's authority, the Word. Anyone else? Uh huh. On Jesus' authority. Okay. Good, good, good. Yeah, you know the authority. Again, back to the, the thematic writing here. I mean, what John's heart is for these people. And he's saying, hey, listen, you know, you're the children of God. Where does that come from? See, he was declaring that he had some authority. He walked with Jesus, he talked with Jesus. He, I don't know what that's like. I mean, that blows my mind. I would love to have, I think, I don't know, be careful what you wish for. I once prayed for patience. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, hurry up. But, but, but he had, yeah, but he had authority. John had authority. And so it was, it was very, it was very relevant. And then he says something very interesting in that, in that verse that Ernie just read. He says, Dear friends, now that we are children of God and that we, what we will be has not yet been made known. Did we figure out what that means? Or did we just go ahead and skip over that because uh, we don't know. Does that mean we're not fully sanctified yet? Okay, good question. Anyone? The question was, does that mean that we're not fully sanctified yet? The verse says... In 1 John 3, 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, 
And what we will be, will is future, what we will be has not yet been made known. Well, let's finish it before we answer that question, because there's a but. Okay, but... We shall be like him. We know. Wait a minute. He says, but what we will be has not yet been made known. But, but... We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, the question remains. Uh, do we... Well, why did he say that? Because we are yet where he is, but we will be like him. Yeah, but there's... But Doris, he says, but... Why did he include this, this, this comment? Did he do it just to make me crazy? <laughs> okay, to give us hope? Hope in what? A promise. Hope in a promise? That we will be like What we will be has not yet been made known. Is there any new revelation outside of Scripture? Okay, this is what we got to go on then, isn't it? Okay, so you think it's a physical, there's a physical component to this? Oh, let's look at the context. We're children of God. Y'all have no clue. That's a paraphrase in the, in the in southern drawl. Y'all have no clue uh, what y'all are going to be because it hasn't been known yet. Y'all don't know what you're going to be, what you're going to be. But we do know... I don't know. I, I, I get it's fascinating to me. Why did John? Why did John include that? You're children of God, but what you're going to be made? You don't know. <laughs> so but what's the answer? Why did he do that? Like huh? We do know we'll be like him. Yeah, but why did he say we don't know what we're going to be like? We don't. Huh? <clears throat> Clearly, it hasn't happened yet. So he's talking about that, that because it's it's very future tense, isn't it? That's right. It's future tense. We don't know. But what we do know about that is what has been revealed. He tells us right here and many other places in Scripture. He says that, and when he appears, we're, we shall be like him. We know from all. Starting at the beginning of Scripture, we were made in the image of God. Okay, So there's this image thing. There's a physical component future. We know about that. We know about resurrected bodies. We know you're going to be able to hear good. And... And and you are too, okay. And um, and Ernie is no longer going to be as old as he is. Right. We know all that stuff. Okay. Hooray! We know all that. But why did he tell us something that we don't know? And then he doesn't explain it. And he tells us he tells us that we are we now we are children of God. Right. Okay. But even though we will be like him, what that is like is has not been. Made known. Mm. We'll be more than children of God. Okay, here it is. Is it a mystery? Is it solvable? No. I love that because there's very few things in Scripture. Now, what's revealed is revealed. But this is something written. Don't you love that? Why do you believe that? Because it's written. Well, so is this. And it's written... And it is declarative of the fact that, guess what? God is God. This isn't revealed. 
It is a complete mystery. It is a mystery. But then, so is most of what God has planned for us. We did that study on, on heaven. Remember that for some reason here? Weeks. We, talked, we went through every scripture that talked about heaven. We looked at the principles. We looked at what we could, what God has revealed to us in his word about what heaven is going to be like. And many people came to me and said, I'm blown away. I had no idea that there was so much revealed to us about heaven in God's word. And he, I don't know, I, I'm going to ask him one day. But I, he spread it out throughout the whole of scripture, didn't he? And we, had to, and we had, it's like a treasure hunt. We get to go hunting for this treasure about what heaven's going to be like. And he, and he gave us like this much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, see, our, our human mind could not even begin to comprehend what he's really like. But in the right time, we will know all of that. We reveal as that what you brought out in Revelation. Absolutely, and we can see that just with the next sentence that Scotty was bringing up. So if you take a look at, the, at that next verse, it says, But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for, he, for we shall see him as he is. What's the inference? That when, when that happens, we will see him really for who he is in other translations. What, what's being inferred there? That's right. See, even that's a mystery, isn't it? See, Jesus has revealed himself just enough to us. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating to me. I mean, the, the mystery of it is going to be, I, I'm starting to kind of comprehend eternity. It's going to take a really long time. It's not all going to be revealed just like that. We've even seen that from our study of what's going to happen when we get to heaven and we're in the presence of the Lord. It's going to be a long time. for. It's going to go on for a really long time. And we'll be in his presence. And some of these mysteries will be revealed. Because ah, we're not from here. Some are all. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. That's a question. So the question is, are all mysteries or just some mysteries going to be revealed? Is that the same kind of a question as how many angels can you fit on the head of a pen? <laughs> is it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't have a clue. But there's two components to this sentence here. It says, but we know that when he appears, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So there's two components to this sentence. Can you see them? It's a declaration and a fact. The declaration is... We, what? He will appear. He's coming. That's a declaration. Now, you all said that you believe that this is true. All right, so he's coming. And earlier in this letter, don't forget, contextually, John said that the hour is near. It's a little hard for us to wrap our mind around that. And you know that biblically that to God, a day is like what? Yeah. And what is like a day? Yeah. <laughs> so our timing, our timing issues, are, are that's, a, that's a fleshly thing. We can't wrap our heads around that eternally, right? It's very difficult for us to do that. I would say impossible for us to do that. Maybe that's one of those revelations in heaven. But the declaration is that Jesus will appear and then we, we shall be like him. 
All right. Now I want to give you a chance to ask the questions. Have you got any questions about what John is talking about or what even Romans 8.29 says that we shall be like him? The next sentence says everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Hmm. Just as he is pure, so maybe we will experience purity. Hmm. Sinless, for sinlessness. Okay. Well, clearly, by the teaches that we are going to experience sinlessness. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. But and we have no idea what that is like. No clue. I don't have the slightest idea. It's beyond my comprehension. Although I desire it desperately. Mm-hmm. And I wish I was, I wish that today I could tell you that no, I didn't sin. But see, that's what the, that's, that's what the Gnostics are saying. No, we don't sin. Yeah. Ah, that's a, we don't sin. That's what they said. The early church wasn't sure. Huh? Yeah. I haven't sinned today, but I haven't got out of bed yet. <laughs> <laughs> haven't woke up yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I even wonder. Yeah, then I even wonder. But he says that, that in, in, in these two components that, that we, we, we see it's declarative, okay, that Jesus is going to appear. We know that. Uh, and we believe that, and that's our conviction because it's true. And then, and then he also says that we're going to be like him. Um, let's let's turn uh, just because it's fun. Let's turn to Romans eight twenty eight. Now, somebody in this room, I'll bet, has that verse memorized, but that's not why we're turning. Yeah. Romans eight twenty eight. Is this a test? No. <laughs> Only to just see if you could find Romans. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was referring to, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so all that, that that's the, the, the paraphrase of that is, uh, hey, y'all, everything works for the good. God's, God's got this worked out. Everything will work for your good. Even the bad stuff that you think is bad, everything is going to work for the good. For those of y'all that are called children of God. But, now read verse 29. What does that say? What? Those he foreknew. Oh. He also predestined. He what? <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, did you read that whole, that whole verse one more time? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We will be like him. Isn't that interesting? I love that because, see, that's just a cross-reference. And so when you cross-reference these things, and when you're, when you're reading or studying, either one, when you have the time, if you're just reading, just read, that's fine. But if you're, if you're taking the time, if, you don't, if, you're not, if you're not in a hurry, you know, check a look at your cross-references. And so you can cross-reference from 1 John to, to Romans 8.29. And if you put that in the appropriate context here, that everything is going to happen for good. God, has, God is good, and he has your good in mind at all times. We know that. That, that, that's been the message from the pulpit here in the church for quite a while now, hasn't it? Several weeks. And yet, uh, and we see the cross-reference here is that also, in the context of everything being for our good, out of God's goodness, he then says, ah, and for those God foreknew, because he knew that y'all would be sitting here, all of us, he knew that. And so he knew, and that ultimately we are going to be conformed to the image of his now, if we took the time to study that image, 
That's huge. Because it means more than look like. It means more. Scotty was talking about sinlessness, and okay, can you grasp that? Olivia, can you can you give me a like a ten minute dissertation on what it's like to be sinless? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you will be able to. Good answer. You, you see, it's hard to grasp. It's hard to grasp that in 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 our condition, and yet we we know we know the price it was paid. We know all that, right? We're we're good with all of that. And that the conform, being conformed to the image of His Son, though, is is something that when we look at the original language that we're not going to look at tonight is is so big and so powerful. We think about it in terms of, oh, Jesus, man, maybe he was a pretty good looking guy. Maybe I'm going to be good looking for a change. No, that's not what he's talking about. <laughs> it has nothing to do with what, with what we look like. I mean, I hope I'm better looking. Wouldn't take much. But, um, but, but that's not what he's talking about. So we have to finish all this stuff and everything is about, everything is about context. It's all about context. When Jesus appears, we're going to get it. For the first time, really. That's part of the mystery. So whenever we run across one of these things that's, that's quite mysterious to us and we, and we search the scriptures to try to find an answer and there isn't one, do you know that was intentional? I just don't know why exactly. I don't have the answer to that. But I like it. Who doesn't like a mystery? Because we've been given the truth that we need. So as we speak, obviously we're all being conformed to his image. That's what this whole transformation process is about. Yeah. Amen? Some are on a speedboat and some are on a paddleboat. But we're in the transformation process, right? Some are in the Corvette. Yeah, some are in the Corvette, right. Sometimes I wonder, I think my Corvette is more of a pedal car, but that's okay. That's okay. So let's go back to 1 John 3.3. 3. First John 3.3. 3. Everyone who has this hope an expositional study. What's hope? How do you define hope? Trust. Trust. Faith. Okay. Confidence. Okay. I like that. Go ahead. Expectations that don't have any real foundation. Expectation that doesn't have any real foundation. Well, earthly foundation. Oh, yeah. Kind of. Kind of. My, my personal favorite. I mean, there are several. There are several good definitions of, of of the biblical word hope. But one of my favorites is unshakable confidence. I like that one because um, I, I mean, if I were if I wasn't unshakably confident, trust me, I wouldn't be here <laughs> because I wouldn't have a conviction. And if I wouldn't have the conviction, I might as well be like those in the darkness. Let's just go do what we want. Uh, no, no. I, I, this this hope that we have. It's mysterious in a lot of ways, isn't it? I mean, that's faith. And yet, it is with this unshakable confidence. Everyone who has this unshakable confidence in him purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. So who's held up as the example? Jesus. Jesus is held up as the example. And what is this purifying that John is talking about? Completeness of joy. Completeness of joy. Won't have sin. What's that? Won't have sin. Oh, okay, so uh, so a, a 
well, won't have your going future. But he's saying that, that everybody is, everyone who has this hope, that's right now, Ernie, that's you, that's me, that's, I'm pretty confident everybody in this room has that hope in him. Okay, the hope that John's talking about in these verses here, and so that we're going to be we're going to be like him. Okay, I sure hope so. Yeah. Not hope, I wish, but I have this unshakable confidence that that's true. Okay, and so with that unshakable confidence, um, we purify ourselves. He says, just as Jesus is pure. Okay, so purifying is what? Not the future. He's talking about right now. Turning from sin. What else? If you're going to turn from sin, what does it require? If you're going to turn from sin, what, do you, what else are you going to do? Walk in the light. But by its very nature, by its very nature, we're going this way and we're going to, return, and we're going to turn from sin. We're going to turn. We're going to change our mind. We're going to go the other way. And that's what he's talking about here. So we're talking about turning from sin, changing our mind, repenting. Sin today? Oh, just a reminder. So, <laughs> if we have this hope, set your sights on things above. I mean, that's what, that's what, we're, that's what we're talking about uh, throughout all of Scripture. But remember the context is John is talking about this light and this dark. And he's talking about these false teachers. He's talking about, listen, the, the, the end is coming. Why are all these antichrists here? Because the, it's in the end times. That's when it's going to start happening, and it's been happening for a while. Okay? Happening more and more. <laughs> and that's what Scripture says, but that's a prophetic thing. We can go into later, maybe. But the point is, is that, is that if you have this hope, you're turning from sin, you're repenting, you're changing your mind, you're working out your salvation according to Philippians, uh, and, and even, even training yourself for what? Godliness? First Timothy, train yourself for godliness. See, it's up to you. Some of this stuff is up to you. Oftentimes we put all this stuff on, you know, the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Well, who does that for you? Jesus. Well, no, Scripture says, no, part of this is up to you. Train yourself in godliness. That's a discipline. Well, I don't like going there because they don't do much for me. I, I like the one that Richie said a couple, days, or a couple Sundays ago, maybe it was last Sunday, I don't know, that, that uh, um, uh, well, I tried that Christianity thing. It didn't do anything for me. Okay, but what did you do? What did you do? Well, I... My sister calls it... I was a VIP. But in you. Come sit, do nothing? Nowhere does it say that we're not doing anything. Nowhere. <laughs> yeah, James one twenty two, right? Here's the word only. I gotta do anything with it. Then you're just a VIP. And so, First Timothy says, man, we gotta train ourselves in righteousness. And then finally, First John three, the last two verses, there four, three, four and six. First John three, verse four and six. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he who that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Context, context, context. 
The issue here is John's writing the letter and he's already talked about those that have left them. They were never they weren't of us, he said. They were in the darkness. Remember? Dark and light. Dark and light. Powerful message. True, difficult to hear. And then he says, Everyone who sins break the law. Breaks the law. So sin is lawlessness, right? Okay, so we gotta take a look at it. He says, Everyone who sins. What is sin? Pardon me? Breaking the law. Oh, breaking the law. He says so right there. Missing the mark. Missing the mark. That's where the word originally came from. That's what it, that's what it meant. So missing the mark. Archery term, right? So missing missing the mark, taking the wrong road, deviating from the goal. That's what that's what sin is. So it's breaking the law. So everyone sins. We know what sin is, and sin is a pretty prevalent thing in the Bible, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, whenever the Bible teaches about sin, I relate to that probably more than anything else because I think I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> I'm, unfortunately, unfortunately, but it's dominant because that's what we are, sinners. But the Bible is all about God's gracious salvation from it. But what else does he say? We're missing the mark when we sin. What law are we breaking when we sin for breaking the law? Pardon me? Okay, which one? Oh, so it's plural. Okay. So, yeah, see the law here is used, the term is used in its broadest sense. People get all caught up in this whole thing about, you know, the mosaic law. And, you know, I, you, you can go down all those roads if you want to, but the word here that John is using is God's law in the broadest sense of the term. It's all inclusive. In fact, he says, sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And I would submit, and lawlessness is sin. Amen? So sin is just a transgression of the law, but we have to remember again the context because it's pretty important. John's calling out those who were teaching that they didn't sin. Yeah. Ah, we don't sin. Well, for us, that would be like a red flag. Bingo, right out of the bat, we would know that. No, 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 no. But remember, context, cultural context, and it's the first century. Okay, this is all new. This is all new. And now the history that we have, we're blessed to be living in this time, aren't we? Really, in so many ways, we're just blessed to be living. But the point is, the context is John was calling out those people that were saying, ah, we don't sin, but... Obviously, they had to be taught. And so that's why he gives them these words. They were teaching that God had no concern about what they did in the flesh. What a great opportunity for a sinner. <laughs> no, I don't sin because God is not concerned with what I do in the flesh. He's only concerned because everything is spiritual, right? Well, that's true. It is. But that's only part of the truth. And they were saying, no, we don't sin. They only got it part right. Because they perpetually sinned. And that's what they wanted to do. So they were in the darkness. Frankly, they hated the church. Hmm. How can you hate the church? The church told them they were sinners. <laughs> But they said, they said, 
remember. No, we're not sinners. We're, we're, we're spiritual. In fact, in one sense, they said, no, we're followers of Jesus. Even though we don't believe he came in the flesh, we're, we know Jesus. But we hate the church. But Jesus said, but if you hate the church, you're in the darkness. <coughs> so twisted. So easily twisted. No commitment, no, no conviction to the truth. Verse 5 says it, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Why did Jesus come? Take away our sins. Take away our sins. John 1.29 says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've all heard that one multiple times. You know why Jesus came. And in him is no sin. Remember now, Jesus, I mean, John here is using the present tense because tenses are important when you're doing exposition. So the words matter and the tenses matter. The language matters. The culture matters. All those things matter. That's why an expository study can kind of go pretty slow. It's kind of fun to think about all those things and, and learn about them. And, and if you do an expository study once, you could do it like ten more times and pull out more stuff. That's the work of the Spirit. But the emphasis is sinlessness. And here's where we get all hung up if we're not careful, right? Because the context is really, really, really important. Because he says, nobody who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So I guess you all don't know him. Right? Right? Doesn't it say so right here? No one who lives in him keeps on sinning? You all said earlier tonight that you sinned today. And I believe you. And then John says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. So apparently you don't live in him. Oh. Talked about the law. Which which one of the law did you break if you sinned? Mm-hmm. God's law is a way of life, and if you continue in sin, sin is a way of life. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. I mean, everybody does little little sins. I mean, you can't help it. Okay. If you're alive, you, you make a sin, but you're not living in sin as a way of life. Okay. I'm just reading what it says. I'm just trying to do an expository study here. In verse 6 it says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning, and no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That's, I'm just saying, that's what it says. But it doesn't say, I can't find the word willful anywhere. Is that in your... Do you have that in yours? It says continues. i got several versions right here on my electronic pad thing about here. Isn't that something that you're doing on your own will? You mentioned earlier perpetual I, yeah. And yeah. Did you sin today? Yes. Did you sin yesterday? Yes. Is that perpetual? <laughs> the Holy Spirit convicted of our sin. Mm. And if we continue to do that sin, then we are sinning. But yes, we're going to sin because we're born sinners. Yeah. And that's not going to change unless we accept the Christ as our Lord and Savior. But if we continue to do the same thing, if God convicts us of lying, and we continue to lie, 
that's what he means by keeps on sinning. And when he has convicted us of that sin and we continue to do it, we're living in darkness. That's a little more disobedience. Yes. It's a matter of the heart. I don't know. I'm just reading here. So first five says, but you know that he appeared so that he might take, take away our sins. And in him is no sin. And then verse six says that no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to read God's word. And he's talking about the lifestyle. Your lifestyle, what you just said. If you continue to <coughs> go your secular way and do what you want to do, and who said he's talking about your lifestyle? Well, what are you talking about? He's, he's I'm just trying to understand. Huh? You have to repent of it. Oh, okay, you have to repent of it. Okay, repentance is a, is, is, a, is a component. And he's just talking about sinlessness of Jesus. And then he's talking about, and then John right here says, no one who, who lives in him keeps on sinning. And we all said that we live in him and we keep on sinning. And it's perpetual. If you sinned yesterday or twice today, even, that's perpetual. And then you said something. I'm trying to figure out what you're trying to say because I'm just trying to figure out what it means. I'm just trying to get some help here. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, one time, Judge Love told me there are two kind of people that come into his court. Those who break the law and the lawbreaker. The lawbreaker is perpetual one in, in the eyes of the court. And I think that's kind of similar here. It's a way of life. To the criminal who's always in this court for breaking the law. That's his lifestyle. Our lifestyle should be living according to him. We're going to make mistakes, but if that's our, if sinning is our way of life, then you know the Lord's not in us. Okay. That's what verse nine says. What does verse nine say? No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Okay, perfect. So what you're talking about then is, because you're all right, and I, I, I appreciate you letting me mess with you, but the point of all of that was simply this. When we're doing a study of God's word, there is the application. Because don't we tend to want to bring it home, don't we, when we read scripture? We want to be able to apply it to ourselves. And Lord, will you show me, show me, show me? Because it's so hard to live 2,000 years ago. You know, it takes a lot of effort to study this in the context from which it is written, even though it's totally applicable to me today. But the context is critical. And so my point is, is that when you're reading, slow down and look at the context. What is the context of the entirety of this letter so far? Forget verse 9. We're not there yet. What is the context? What is John, through the Spirit, communicating to the church? Don't listen to the darkness. Don't listen to what? False. Don't listen to the false prophets and the false teachers. Don't sin. Don't walk in the darkness. Context, context, context. Then he used. Go ahead. He's warning. It's a warning. There's there's proclamations, declarations, warnings, and it's and it's all about that because what was happening in the church is beautiful thing that was exploding in the first century, and these people came in and said, "Let's just suck them right out of there with a lie." The context is, is that, hey, Jesus is the sinless one. 
But those people in the darkness that I'm warning you about, they're the ones. You can't say that you're in him and do that. That is sin. That is darkness. You cannot deny Jesus Christ. I mean, you talk about the sin. And that's what they do in the context is not our culture. It can be applied. But when we're doing a study, we need to really understand the context. 